Good evening. This is another exciting episode on the all-in platform, the all-in politics, the real, the real, the jump off with another exciting show. I'm your host, Walter Damager, along with my co-host. At Rob Cooper Jr. What's going on, family? How you doing, good brother? We have a I'm... lot of stuff to tell the night. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got it. We got a, a special guest, but before we get into our special guest, I'm allow you to introduce him. But just um, you know, we we continue to um, you know see an election that seemingly will never end uh, because we have a president who refuses to accept uh, defeat. Uh, just as um, as of um, I think five o'clock today, um, which is uh, Friday, uh, November the twentieth. Uh, Georgia just announced that they have certified Joe Biden uh, as the um, winner of the um, 16 electoral votes out of Georgia um, officially. He, uh, he was it was called for him earlier in the week and uh, they reconfirmed it after a a recount. Uh, the other piece, too, I think as we we live in uh, limbo, uh, we're still dealing with a coronavirus. And as of today, we're, we're roughly at 12 million cases in the United States. And uh, I'm almost scared to read this number, uh, but we're pushing up on uh, 255,000 American lives uh, being lost. Uh, so COVID is still out there. Uh, we're broadcasting tonight out of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, where uh, the cases have are, are extremely on the on the uh, rise as it is across the country. <coughs> Excuse me, and, and we're we're also hearing that um, schools are now um, closing as, as well as some some other businesses. So uh, just can't stress uh, to folks, you know, enough right now, particularly with the holidays uh, coming up. Um, really, stay at home. Um, you know, social distancing. If you have uh, to get out. Exactly. exactly you know follow the cdc guidelines with pretty much i don't need to go through them all but they've been drilled in us and you really should have been following them you know from um from you know the time when when we went into that state of emergency in uh march of or earlier this year and, and for god's sake when you go outside or when you come in contact with people wear a mask i mean don't believe the hype um you know don't uh don't fall for the okie doke Put a mask on believe science and let's keep this thing moving man and uh you know uh as a team get rid of this virus man so yeah. just wanted to you know open up the show just like that but i want you to officially open up the show uh and bring on our guests because we got some you know exciting uh information and uh some topics to jump into uh yes i definitely want to do that uh first i want to give us a, a moment to recognize the children <clears throat> in the community and a, and a real um trailblazer and uh, activist uh, portion of the city of Philadelphia, a brother that was lost on September 3rd, uh, 2000, um, a brother that we all came to know and love. He was my godfather, Mr. Malik Aziz, who was the co-founder and chair of Amends for a Better Philadelphia, which was founded in 2002. He was the chairman and co-founder of the National Exodus Council, which was founded in 2007. He was the assistant director of the mayor's office of re-entry from 2000-2009 under Mayor Street and Mayor Nutter. He retired from the city of Philadelphia in 2013 after paying a great 
deal of servitude for 15 years of service. He was also a part of Returning Citizens for Better Philadelphia, which he was the president involved in many communication-based organizations for the youth and many alike in the community, which now gives me the segue to introduce to you a very astute individual and trailblazer within the same ranks, Mr. J. Johnny Farrell, who was a Philadelphia community activist, political organizer, writer, and public speaker. He is the founder and executive director of the TCRC, Community Healing Center, which seeks to address the needs of the Black community and upliftment. Mr. Harrell is formerly, was a formerly incarcerated activist with 25 years in the federal system struggling against mass incarceration. Mr. Harrell, we welcome you and enjoy your presence. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. Um, when I came home in September 2009 and I went to the DMV, one of the first questions they asked me was, would I like to register to vote? And I'd like to acknowledge the fact that Malik Aziz led the fight for returning citizens to get the vote in, in 2002. So yeah. for all of us who came home and were able to register to vote and became politically involved and connected, he was one of the trailblazers who made that possible. You know, that that is so, uh, brother, first of all, brother Harrell, welcome uh, to All In Politics. And just, just starting with that, uh, you know, one of our uh, visions of starting, you know, this All In uh, Politics podcast, uh, you know, brother Malik was one of our uh, first guests that we had on, and we used to call it the Power Hour. And, and that was, you know, some of the main key points that, you know, he was bringing to the to the community, just getting that information out there, because, as you know, this goes, you know, nationwide and worldwide, depending on where folks, you know, log on. And, and you know, I know every, all the states have different rules uh, when it comes to election laws. But, you know, just kind of really pushing, you know, this information, you know, throughout the United States and, and letting folks understand, you know, the power in, in their in their vote, as we saw you know uh this this year uh, close to about 160 million people you know came out to vote in the uh, presidential election uh, i know in philadelphia it was the highest turnout uh since 1984. uh so you know you know i think as kamala harris you know mentioned when we vote things things change um one of the things that we're doing here uh, and I, you know, we really couldn't speak on it last time. But one of the things that all, you know, all in politics is in, in as well as the all in network, where we're now in the process is doing is forming um, or formulating a political action committee. And actually, you know, point number one in our plan is registering people to vote uh, and particularly, you know, targeting uh, the youth in our community to make sure uh, that, um, you know, they not only register to vote, uh, but you know, put out voter education because that is, that is, you know, so important. Uh, so yeah, you know, as you can attest to that, um, having that, you know, having that ability to be educated, not only just to register, uh, particularly when you are a returning citizen, you know, uh, really mattered. Most definitely. But, you know, it's, it, you know, one of the things I think, um, you know, coming into uh, speaking on the, the voting, the voting piece, um, and we, you know, we, we continue to now start to see, uh, particularly when the pandemic started, um, we started 
seeing states uh, start releasing uh, folks back into uh, the community. Um, you know, with your, you know, the service that you do right now for folks returning, uh, for our returning citizens, uh, can you just kind of give us, you know, kind of an understanding, you know, of how you kind of manage, you know, find, finding, you know, resources and services uh, for our returning citizens, you know, amid uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus? Well, even in the best of times, it is difficult to transition. You know, I, I speak from personal experience and from the past 11 years in assisting formerly incarcerated people to begin and sustain their journey to freedom. Employment is always difficult. When we come home, we are faced with large gaps in our employment record. We have many times been out of the job market for some time. It's difficult to create a resume that really reflects who we are. And so often the simple fact that we're trying to do so many things at one time. We're trying to reintegrate in society, um, reattach ourselves to our family, um, create new relationships, find employment, find housing, and do all the things that ordinary citizens take for granted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a continual learning process. Then when you add on to that COVID-19, which has fundamentally changed how we live and work. If you think back to this time last year, and you would say that um, for a long stretch of time, everything is closed, restaurants, yeah. uh, stores, um, sports everything has come to a, a screeching halt and folks who are coming home from prison are trying to adjust to a far different reality than they could have imagined and it's very very difficult just the job market itself you are competing with folks who have been in the job market for some time who many times have a higher level of education a stronger work ethic in the eyes of employers and you're battling the discrimination that's inherent against the formerly incarcerated population mm -hmm. michelle alexander aptly described it when she said that we are second class citizens that's mm -hmm. how a lot of folks look at formerly incarcerated people and a lot of employers are very hesitant to give us a second chance or a first start but that's exactly what we need so you come out of prison and you're fighting for employment fighting to find suitable housing you're trying to attain a living wage you are involved in re-establishing strong family and social relationships this can be overwhelming add COVID to that and it's extremely difficult mm -hmm. you know it, it kind of sounds like almost you know looking at you know the constant through the constitution and general laws you know you talk about you know you can't have what they call double jeopardy uh but just you know listening to your uh, description of how it is trying to return into uh to society 
you know, it sounds like, you know, our, our, return, our returning citizens, not only are you paying your debts uh, to society uh, behind bars, uh, but you, you're also, you know, expected to pay debts outside, you know, outside of the bars. Uh, is that a correct assessment of, of, of how uh, folks feel when they when they uh, step out and really try to uh, reconnect into society? Yes, it is. And for many folks who are on probation or parole, uh, that's especially onerous. In mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, you actually have to uh, pay for your parole business. You know, so that's one thing. Um, when I came home, and when I was in a halfway house, I got a write up every 15 days that I didn't have a job. And I was in danger of being sent back to prison. Um, when I got a job, it was like, um, I was gonna be sent back January 1st and uh, the Google Industries gave me a job two days before Christmas. I mean, that's the kind of pressure you're under. Um, it's an intense pressure. And many folks who have spent so long incarcerated and come out with hopes and dreams and plans, you know, really find themselves in a situation that can be mentally and uh, spiritually overwhelming. And society Mm. doesn't really understand just what a a transition entails. So I think it's extremely important to tell the stories, tell the stories of successes, of so many people who overcome all the odds and they do well, find work. There are varying levels of success for some people. It's merely maintaining their freedom, not going back, um, staying clean, not giving dirty urines, um, not being involved in any uh, misdemeanor offenses that can take them back finding employment, reconnecting, and just um, attaining higher education and doing all the things to get them back into the flow of being a normal person. Just feeling as if you're a normal citizen is a distinct level of success. Yeah, well, I like to you know, commend you for your services and your activism um, during these uh, very critical times. Um, because at times activism isn't for the faint of heart. It is for those that really partake into wanting to be and build their communities um, and to become a person yourself. And uh, like I said, the late Aziz. With your organization and some of the ideas that you have um, living through these experiences and on top of the COVID crisis, what are some of the innovative ways you can see yourself bridging that gap and making it a better way for the, the newer uh, releases, uh, releasees and the people that are out um, to get to the services and things that they need. So it's extremely important for folks who are coming home in this pandemic to become computer literate. And when you are incarcerated, you really don't have that opportunity because, you know, the Internet is a, a uh, distant dream. You know, so it's essential for the family members, for our children, grandchildren. My grandchildren were tremendous in, in helping me to learn and achieve, you know, and it's simple things. I've been gone 18 years, you know, 
I never had a cell phone, you know, and right. just to master the cell phone and then to move into the computer literacy. I took computer courses and I became very proficient. And then I felt as if I was a part of the of the flow because the Internet is a world that we have to conquer. There are very few places that do um, physical applications. You have to go online to apply. That's right. That's right. You have to follow up with a good cover letter, a strong resume, and you have to present your personality virtually. That's right. So what we've done during the pandemic is a lot of virtual work. And this pandemic has really shown us that brick and mortar establishments may be the past. So many folks are working remotely and maintaining quality work ethics that in the future, the downtown multi-billion dollar office buildings may become obsolete. But as formerly incarcerated people, we have to be a part of that movement. We can't That's be right. left behind. The, the, in the digital divide, we can't be on the wrong side. You know, so so let's let's talk about that. And, and I, I absolutely agree with you, um, you know, with the, the, the great digital divide that we are experiencing in uh, America. And really, it came to fruition, uh, you know, once the pandemic hit. Um, I know it was something that we were always working on, uh, but, you know, we were kind of forced to kind of get there. Uh, we have seen an improvement over, I guess, the last eight months. Um, you know, where you're seeing folks from all kind of walks of life, you know, both uh, young and old now starting to make that, you know, transition. You know, it's interesting because uh, in our pre-show, she brought that out. You know, Walt and I was just, you know, kind of talking about that. You know, we we're saying, you know, now how, um, you know, you go to your doctor visits now, um, you know, those are all done you know, could be done virtually, you know, as a, something in the industry they call telemedicine and you, you know, yeah. you, you meet face to face with your, your doctor and they give you the same, you know, same type of information that they're, you know, that they can give you when you're sitting in that, you know, in the, in the doctor's office, uh, minus, you know, picking up any other contagious type, you know, diseases. And then, you know, you, you say, Hey doc, you know, what's wrong? Hey, I got a little cold here. Um, you know, I, you know, I had a little flu symptoms and things like that, or not feeling too good. And, you know, before he hangs up, you know, the doc says, okay, I'm a, you know, shoot you a, um, you know, a, a prescription, uh, to the drugstore. And then, you know, four or five minutes, you know, uh, 45 minutes later, you know, you're receiving it at the door via maybe Uber or something else, you know, delivered, uh, to you. Uh, matter of fact, you know, one of the major, uh, you know, drugstore chains, uh, you know, you know, brought me, so, you know, 12 a 12 pack of sodas <laughs> to 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 my home so you know we're definitely in that world and all that you know with the stroke of a thumb um but you know so it's one of the things that i think you know we have to get by uh with the digital d divide um is, is well you know you mentioned there's some frustrations even in you know inner city philadelphia you know you got you know folks who still have challenges it's not that they don't have the devices but having you know issues with and being in areas where you know they can't get the reception you know they can't get wi-fi um so that that continues to you know to be a challenge um for uh, you know not just for uh, returning citizens but also uh for uh folks who are who, who 
reside and live uh, in, the, in our disadvantaged areas. Well, social economic disadvantages. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, you know, that's, uh, that is definitely something that we, we really need to, um, you know, get on to. And, when, and I know what we want to do is just really get on to, um, you know, some political discussions to see how we could, you know, leverage our, our vote. Um, to you know, start making things happen. Before we get to to that, I just want to l- let folks know that this podcast is uh, brought to you by the All In Network. Uh, don't forget to head over to allinnetwork.net uh, to find all our podcasts, including the All In Podcast with um, our producer here in, in the studio with us, Elijah and Mike. Uh, we also have Rain and Bliss. These young ladies do an outstanding job of keeping you up to date on uh, the pop culture. We have Real Deal Radio. Uh, of course, you're listening right now to All In Politics. And of course, uh, the Beast Gaming uh, podcast, where you all you gamers can kind of head on over uh, uh, to get some tips on how to, um, you know, defeat or, or become, you know, you get your skills or get your, your sticks ready for Madden uh, 2020. I just, I haven't played it in so long, so I don't know. I'm still, I'm still back in the Sega days. <laughs> like, like, you, like you, brother Harrell. I haven't, I haven't picked up the sticks in a while. Uh, but well, you know, we also are over at the, uh, on YouTube channel, All In Network YouTube channel. You just uh, go to YouTube and search All In Network and you can find all of our uh, programmings and platforms. But what when they get over there, man, what, what what would you suggest that they do? Well, if they're you know handcrafted and they can hold on to any type of device or anything that can even remotely get to where they need to be on this this loveliest uh, thing we call a plane, I want you to grab the device, jump up and down, do a three sixty degree turn, slam and smash that subscribe button. Yes, I said it, smash it. That's right, smash that. Uh, subscribe button so when you see us come out on YouTube you will make sure uh, you'll get all the notifications and all of our programming from all of our exciting uh, shows so again as Brother Walt just said smash that like button and smash that subscribe button but uh, getting back to you know you know, I guess as I mentioned in the opener uh, it's, it's finally coming to a close but you know election 2020 um, you know, this last four years have been, you know, some turbulent times uh, with uh, Donald Trump, uh, a.k.a. 45. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, 160 uh, million, close to 160 million folks came out and exercised their uh, right uh, to vote. And, and let me just say this, you know, regardless of who you voted for, whether you voted for Trump or you voted for Biden, uh, the fact that 160 million folks came out and wanted their voices heard um, is, is really how democracy works. And, and uh, I believe we were at about 65 or 66 percent turnout. I, I haven't got the, the proper numbers, but in my opinion, that's still too low. Uh, I won't be satisfied until we get, you know, um, you know, close to 80 percent uh, turnout of folks coming out um, to vote. And, and that's one of the things with the all in uh, political action committee. Those will again, as I mentioned to you earlier, Brother Harrell, those will be one of our initiatives to get as many people, you know, registered um, as, as possible. But the other piece, too, you know, is to get, um, you know, progressive uh, judges and D.A.s. 
um, and, and folks on the school board to see how we can stop that school to prison uh, pipeline uh, that we've seen uh, possibly over the last 20 to 30 years. Um, you know, any suggestions from you, you know, uh, just from, you know, working in the community, uh, how we can reach, you know, you know, and, and find the right people that we can back and support, not just by our vote, but uh, perhaps fundraising and things like that to get the right folks in there who really understand, you know, the, um, you know, just the destruction that this school to prison um, is doing in our community on the whole. So we had amazing success here in the city of Philadelphia. We elected one of the most progressive DAs in the country, Larry Krasner. Yes. And how we did that was a coalition of community groups, um, superb organizing and door knocking. Um, I worked with the Block Party um, back three and a half years ago, and that was a organization that we created to stimulate the vote among formerly incarcerated people and their families and communities. In the city of Philadelphia, we have over 300,000 formerly incarcerated residents here living in the city. And Pennsylvania is one of 18 states where as soon as you come home, you can register to vote. So we did a lot of door knocking. We, we did a lot of um, uh, texting and networking to get formerly incarcerated people and their families and the community to see the importance of voting. So many folks in our community are already registered to vote because as I said, you know, when you go to the DMV, when you renew your license, it's very simple. It's just one button and you're registered to vote. The importance is finding a candidate that will inspire people and who they can believe in and then whom they will hold accountable. Larry Krasner was the perfect candidate because he was a civil rights lawyer who was intensely involved in criminal justice. And for the past 30 years, he had fought on the side of the people. He was very well known on all levels. And we put together a coalition that smashed the opposition and vaulted them into power. And when he became the DA, one of the first things that he did was what he had promised. He wholesale fired much of the top administration who were mired in the thinking of Frank Rizzo and the old time Philadelphia political style a racist white supremacist style. And he brought in a lot of young, energetic, visionary lawyers and transformed the GA's office. Now he's met with a lot of opposition because FOP and the democratic power structure hated to see that change because it literally made them obsolete. Now he's up for re-election this coming year, and we have to make sure that all the gains that we made over the past three right. and a half years don't get washed away. We have to fight hard for a second term for Larry and 
I can assure you, we'll be out there organizing, uh, enlightening, and helping folks to see what the reality is of what he's tried to do and what will happen if we allow the forces that are arrayed against him to prevail. Well, any any way that we can help here at All In Network, uh, I know I was speaking with a team of, of our advisors, um, you know, who are developing the Pekka Shot Gym. Not all of them live in the Philadelphia, matter of fact, none of them live in the Philadelphia area. But, you know, we're trying to expand our reach throughout, um, you know, the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania as well into other, um, you know, states like Ohio and some of the other places. Uh, but yeah, if we, but, but uh, Larry Krasner is definitely, you know, a um, public servant that we would like to get behind. So any connections that you have, we would love to have him on the podcast to talk about some of the wonderful work that he is, he has done in, in Philadelphia and, and, you know, what folks can do uh, to, you know, uh, continue to help him, not only, not just for his reelection campaign, but to help him to continue to serve the people of Philadelphia, because um, that is his uh, first and foremost um, job. And, 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 you know, I think when we're talking about politics and, you know, of course, I, I, you know, I love the semantics of it. I love, you know, the, the campaigning and watching the results on election night. Uh, but folks have to understand that. And, and, I, and I hope we're bringing this across to, um, you know, our listening and, and viewing audience uh, that, that and I often say this, that politics is not a spectator sports. It's not like we're watching the Eagles or, you know, you're a Cowboys fan or something like that. We sit there and we eat our popcorn and root for the winning team. Um, it's not that, um, you know, news. Here's a news flash for you. You are on the field. You are part of uh, the, the 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 winning, you know, the winning team, and um, you know we have to really become more engaged. Uh, one of the things that I'm, you know, recommending that I like to see, you know, come from this podcast and just from our organization is really put out some information about, you know, us putting together a 10-year voting plan. Um, you know, where we're not, you know, coming around every four years. That's where we, we really fall for the okie doke. Yes. We wait every four years, even every two years. It's, it's too, it's too uh, much. We need to be involved in this process every year because, you know, next year, as you as you mentioned, you know, it's, a, it's an extremely important election with, you know, the DA's uh, race in, in Philadelphia. And see, while everyone is asleep waiting on 2024, waiting for Kamala to run, you know what I mean? Here, you know, before Kamala, you can, you know, can get, you know, um, you know, reelected or we can run for whoever, you know, is, if it's Joe running, you know, for a reelection bid, you know, we will wake up and we find out that, you know, we, we ended up going to sleep and allowing a white supremacist to, you know, run the Philadelphia DA's office or, or you know, more lose, you know, uh, quite a few seats on the school boards uh, where we're at. So, um, you know, outside of Philadelphia, many folks don't know in Philadelphia, obviously school boards in appointed position, but outside of Philadelphia and in, in, in the 66 other counties uh, in school in, in, um, in other schools where school districts are at there, these are generally, you know, elected positions. So, you know, these are things that I think we need to bring, you know, awareness to uh, the community. Um, you know, and if not, just stay focused on trying to prevent that school to prison pipeline, because just, you know, folks know those corporate prison prisoners, uh, those corporate, um, you know, prisons, they're not taking any days off. They're not they're not stopping any. They get paid. 
huge amounts of, of money and reap huge amounts of profits and they don't do that by going to you know going to work and then going to sleep for four years i, I can guarantee you i can guarantee you that um but moving on to the the national elections you know uh joe biden uh is the uh president elect excuse me let me call him right president elect joe biden and vice president elect uh kamala harris uh, as we mentioned you know uh before ice cube came out with a plan before you know 50 cent came out running his mouth before uh little wayne came you know came out with something um joe biden had a, had a plan for black america um and and i i would like for us to kind of just you know as a as elijah will put that up on the screen to really start to examine now uh what is on paper uh that joe biden you know i think the party is over i mean of course you know there's another one on an inauguration day uh but here's where now we want to make sure that you know president-elect uh biden and vice president-elect uh kamala harris uh stay true uh to what they put on paper your thoughts uh brother harrell well i think it's extremely important for all of the black america to look at the biden harris plan many folks aren't even aware of it and it is extremely rare that a national figure comes into office with a plan for black America. I mean, the reality was even Obama didn't have a laid out right. plan for black America. That's right. He tried to be the president for all the people. And, you know, we see how well that worked out. Right. So what I really like about the, the Biden Harris plan is the build back better plan. And that promises to mobilize American manufacturing and innovation and to create millions of good paying union jobs. That's essential because in our inner cities, when we talk about crime and violence, we're talking about economics. Unless our young people have strong have a strong economic base, they're going to be sucked into the the another world of drugs and crime. But if you have good paying jobs that are living wage jobs, that's an alternative. Building a modern infrastructure and a clean energy future. I would like this to the days of the um, Great Depression. And in the black community, we are in a Great Depression. And FDR had a plan that mobilized American workers and rebuilt the infrastructure of the country. In the city of Philadelphia, which we were discussing, because we're here in Philadelphia, we have 40,000 vacant houses. That in itself could be a huge project or program to not only employ our young people, employ returning citizens, train people in the construction and rebound rehabbing houses, but providing housing for the poor, for the displaced, for the homeless. So you're doing two things at one time. You're renovating the city structure and you're creating a economic base. And when you give families and 
opportunity to buy homes. Home ownership is the key to generational wealth because you pass down those homes to the next generation and you build wealth as you move forward. That's how we have to be thinking. And if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are serious about this plan, we have to get behind it, make sure it happens, and hold them accountable for any missteps or any mistakes that would delay this plan. It's one thing to make a campaign promise. It's entirely another thing to carry it through to a successful conclusion. Okay, well. Yeah, so I just wanted to piggyback off of that. Um, and as me and you had discussions earlier today um, pertaining to the PAC and pertaining to any potential candidate uh, that is coming up for state or local elections, we as the people need to hold these people accountable. Like not once they get in, we get lackadaisical and complacent to what they've done in that first term. But we need to hold them to the carpet and to the fire for their out. So their promises and their uh, agendas that they set forth, we as the people really need to stay on top of it and revigorate it to make sure that they usher in and keep true to game. Because if not, we're going to fall for the same okie doke year after year and go through this conundrum of problems, which aren't getting fixed, but they're being pacified um, until the next candidate come along to promise us something with an empty plate. You know, and I agree with you. You all, and, and, and I too. I, I'm, I am impressed with the uh, the Biden plan for uh, Black America. Um, not only because you know, as you mentioned, I don't. This is the first time that I saw an actual candidate of a major uh, party, one of the two major parties, to come out with a plan. It's interesting because Donald Trump didn't even have a plan. Then when Ice Cube went to him, I think he kind of stole some pieces of ice cube plan which i believe he stole from the biden plan and put it and, and, and used it and, and called it something uh the uh platinum plan uh, but you know one of the things couple couple of measures that that he put in into his plan um are easily attainable is, is what i like you know so these are not you know um pie in the sky uh, type promises. This is not, you know, uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you $500 billion if you, if you vote for me. No, I mean, these are, you know, very, very simple, you know, points, you know, advance economic mobility of African Americans and close the uh, racial wealth and income gaps, you know, expand access to high quality education and tackle racial inequality in our education system. There we go again. We start educating folks. We can kind of put a stop or shut down or slow down that school to prisons uh, um, process. You know, make far reaching investments in ending health disparities by race. Well, we already we already saw that uh, with the um, just with the COVID-19. We saw that particularly uh, black and brown folks were being affected and dying of COVID-19 at a extremely high uh, level, you know, strengthen America's um commitment to justice well this is what we're talking about today you know uh, how can we you know help people get more you know get uh, help our people get justice and how can we do it on the front end you know by you know electing um 
you know, DAs and and judges as well. I, you know, I don't want to leave that out. That how, that, how that's important because they get ten year in, in you know ten year bids. Uh, so we want to make sure that we put the right judge in there. So when you know our young folks or even older folks, when you know they they go in front of a judge, you know they're going to you're going in front of someone who understands this. Uh, making the right to vote, the right uh, to equal protection. Uh, real for African Americans. We can see that right now. What's happening uh, with uh, the current occupant of the of the White House uh, and the outgoing President uh, Trump? Um, you know, he's he's putting his last its effort to uh, stay in power by essentially attacking the black folk, attacking uh, Milwaukee, attacking Philadelphia, attacking uh, Detroit, attacking Atlanta. You know what I mean? So essentially, if you throw out all the black vote. He wins. It doesn't work like that because you know Black Americans are American um, citizens, and as you mentioned, um, brother uh, Harrell, you know addressing environmental justice. Um, you know whether you call it the the Green New Deal or whatever. Uh, but right now, you know again, um, you know it's interesting because I, I I mentioned this on a um, a podcast you know early in the year I didn't really take the environmental piece as, as serious as you know perhaps maybe my son or, and his friends um, uh, you know taking it but you know after watching you know the mismanagement of uh, right of the right wingers of the uh, COVID-19 um, yeah. the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and how uh, their lack of trust or lack of respect for science you know made me take a, another look at um, you know the environment, and, and now understanding that uh, yes, you know, and, you know, climate change is not a, actually a hoax; uh, it is real, and you know, we're going to be in some serious trouble if we uh, don't uh, begin electing politicians who um, you know share the same sense that that we have to take this uh, serious. So, you know, your thoughts on on, on that? Just kind of labeling through some of the plans. You know, I know you want to dig a little bit deeper into that into uh, Biden's plan, brother Arell. Yes, I really like the the aspect where he talks about um, building a 21st century caregiving and education workforce, making it easier to afford childcare. Um, my daughters and my granddaughters are childcare is essential. They're trying to build and craft lives, and childcare without quality childcare. They can't move forward. And my parents, my my father is 94 and my mother is 87. God bless them. They're at the the point in their life where um, they're seriously aging. They have home health care in addition to, to family support to give them the quality of life that they deserve. And the reality for most black people is the last place you want to see our parents and our relatives is in a nursing home. That's right. That's right. the last resort. If their condition is so dire that they need medical attention beyond what we as a family can get. We want them to be in their homes or in our homes until they pass on to the next life. And we need the quality of care that will make that happen they talk about racial equity and that's often talked about but how do you really close the racial wealth gap 
And one of the ways you do it is through education. HBCUs need to be fully funded by the government, but also I've been saying for a long time, if you graduated from an HBCU, it's your responsibility to support the institution that gave you access to a better life. And that's the responsibility for black Americans, but also the government has to step in to make sure that education is a priority to raise the standard of education in our our high schools, the middle schools and uh, elementary schools in urban areas so that we have the same quality of education as there is in the suburbs. I have grandchildren in the city of Philadelphia going to school and I have them in the surrounding counties. And trust me, the education in the suburbs is four to five times better than it is in the city of Philadelphia. That's right, that's right. And that sort of disparity should not stand. It should not be. You know, and, and you know, it's another great point, you know, about the disparity and, and we're talking to kind of like you know, education and and wealth, and uh, you know, I saw on the on the screen of uh, you know the the Biden plan to you know eliminate about ten thousand dollars in student loan debt. You know, it, it's not it's not you know as lucrative and as aggressive as as Bernie Sanders, but it's a, it's a it's definitely a um, a start in the right direction. Um, you know, I know I know my my son. You know, one of the things that he was saying, you know, when when folks are talking about going back into the uh, the new normal or you know going back to normal but well for him normal is you know carrying you know thousands of dollars in in, in student loan debt um yes. you know it's almost i'm not, not going to say it's impossible but it's extremely challenging to build wealth when you're settled with that type of debt coming out of uh a college when, when really only thing that you did is with you know the school systems and your parents you know encourage you to do is to go to college and and, and become educated you know the other piece too. Um, the other piece that we, you know, we we learned too through, um, you know, the this process uh, and what we're seeing right now with the Constitution uh, being under attack by um, Donald Trump, uh, and the fact that you know seventy three million people actually voted for him. And I'm not, you know, going to take this opportunity to bash those seventy three folks. I will say though. That just shows you that there is an issue right now in our educational system. And I think this is one of the reasons why we need to, uh, you know, really start to put more dollars into that. Um, you know, it's clearly folks uh, do not, including the president himself, um, you know, do not have a, a clear understanding of the Constitution. Uh, in fact, there was a, um, a Tommy Tuberville, I believe his name was. He's a former football coach for Auburn. Uh, he was elected to the Alabama. He was elected as Alabama's representation in the United States Senate. This guy has been elected to a six-year term. And once he was elected, he didn't have a firm understanding of what the three branches of government was. Now, I will chalk that off. I mean, I can understand, you know, they say, hey, this guy's a Tea Party guy or a Trump supporter or whatever. But this guy was was not only is he a he's going to get six, a six year term uh, in uh, the United States Senate, 
but this guy was also a, a collegiate football coach. He was a leader in a university for higher, uh, you know, an institution for higher learning. Uh, and the fact that he, I, I mean, I'm not saying that he was he had to be a professor or some type of scholar or not even a Rose scholar. But the fact that this guy uh, didn't even know who the what or what the executive branch was, what the legislative branch and what the judicial branch was. He said he, he said he said the three branches of government was the president, the Senate and the House of Representatives. I mean, I mean, that should have disqualified him. I know he was elected and he, he darn near received two to one votes in Alabama. And I just said, you know, that's that's just a sad state of where um, party politics, you know, has really kind of, you know, overwhelmed, you know, our, our uh, political structure and our political uh, system where it's going. It's going from, you know, getting into public office to fulfill a civic duty to now getting into public office uh, to perform crony party politics. And I think the, the, the best way that we can, you know, get around this is to continue an aggressive um, voter registration drive, you know, from here uh, until uh, 2032, uh, when uh, people of color will, will uh, demographically uh, be the majority in this in this country. Yes. Well, I think that that um, the fact that a senator to be um, doesn't have a basic knowledge of how the government actually works is symptomatic of the lack of knowledge that is prevalent among the general American population and even the president. President Trump never had a clear understanding of what of how the Constitution limited his powers, which is why he overstepped the boundaries of his powers even to this day. How can a president not understand the transition of one administration to the next? And that you have to allow for the funding and a knowledge of the worldwide political stage and the security of this country, all that is involved in the transition. And all the different agencies have to cooperate to make sure that that transition is smooth. And if that doesn't happen, you actually endanger the security of this nation. So President Trump has gone beyond being obtuse, egotistical and eccentric into being a clear and present danger to this nation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if no one else says it we should say that's right that's right that's right and, and and you know it's interesting and not only do we have to say it he's clearly saying it uh if you look at we've been following along with the the bogus um lawsuits that they um are rendering saying that you know you know alleging uh, voter fraud which you know, 50 Secretary of States saying, you know, there was no uh, voter fraud. It's interesting because he pointed out, you know, Philadelphia. And I find this really interesting that uh, there's 67 counties in Pennsylvania. And actually, uh, Donald Trump underperformed 
in 66 out of 67 counties. And there's a trivia question for everybody who's listening. Do you know the one county that Donald Trump actually overperformed his 2016 numbers? I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the answer here. And that answer is the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Donald Trump actually, Philadelphia was the only county that Donald Trump actually overperformed his numbers in 2016. Yet Philadelphia is the problem for him. Uh, but I got news for you. I live in York. I reside in York County. He underperformed in York County. So he may want to check <laughs> check the records in the books of what happened in York County. He actually lost Erie County. Uh, Erie County flipped from red to blue. He may want to check what went down in, in Erie County. But the county that was most favorable for him and the county that he did the best in was uh, Philadelphia. But, you know, uh, Walt sent me an article yesterday uh, when uh, Giuliani, who's, you know, when his makeup is not running or his, the hair dye is not running on, on camera from his wedding, uh, he is saying one thing in the courts, he goes into the courts and he told the judge, he said, hey, there is no fraud. But when so moments after he steps out of the, the court and, and now takes his trial to camera. the public and then mm -hmm. right to the public uh, for public opinion, he then says, oh, there was plenty of fraud. I have all the evidence. But yet has shown any i got affidavits but haven't shown anything and, and what this is doing is this is a an appeal not to a jury under oath this is an appeal to the 72 million uh folks who quite frankly they told they have zero respect for um and i'm just going to say it i'm not i mean you know trump supporters this is this is this is your man the way he's treating you this is the man who's disrespecting your intelligence or insulting your intelligence, uh, saying that, you know, they're going to tell you one thing on camera, but say another thing under oath. Um, it's just, you know, that's why education, you know, is the key. And, you know, we, we really need to, you know, continue to, um, you know, stay down this path um, because without it, we're, we're going to, like you said, we're going to run into someone in four years that is far more dangerous than donald trump is right now yes most definitely and we still haven't talked about what happens if donald trump continues to refuse to concede the election and does not release funds and right. acts as if he is going to remain in power right right that's that's a constitutional crisis. That's right. That is looming. That's, That's right. What we've been calling. I've been That's saying right. that for the last two years. This guy's going to take us to the point of no return, and now we're here. Event yes. horizon. And and the good news is on January twentieth at noon, um, or twelve oh one p.m. Uh, if he's still in the White House, he will be considered a trespasser, and he will be treated as such. Uh, by the 80 million people who voted against him and probably some some of the 72 million who are uh, patriots um, and believe in democracy and believe in the rule of law and in, in the U.S. Constitution uh, will uh, see to it that he has a uh, he will. I don't know if he where he's going to transition will be a transition of power, but he's going to transition out of that White House. Well, uh, well. You also have to look at the fact that um, 
there were numerous generals who were discussing this publicly saying that if they were given the order to sustain him in power they would follow the the constitution he has fired those generals and replaced right. them with trump loyalists that's right that's right so, so what will that well, look like in the event that he decides he's not going to yeah really well, well this is what i would do you know you know the white house still uh sits in the district of columbia uh, what I would uh, be as a citizen, I would go to the mayor of uh, uh, D.C. And if he's not if he doesn't leave the office, I say order the utility companies, the uh, electric company, the water company of D.C., whatever those companies are, the light, the light company, shut it off at 1201. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ha you know, hey, you can stay there as long as you can. And, and, and I, I believe also I think they've already made plans for this. I think Wilmington. If something happens, this is just Rob Cooper's opinion. Uh, I think that Wilmington will become a temporary capital. It's been done before. Uh, you know, hell, where I live at right now, York, Pennsylvania was a capital. Uh, Philadelphia was a capital. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in the District of Columbia. You can temporary. Now we're in a virtual world. Uh, so, um, you know, there. I think there's measures in place um, to, to, you know, help, you know, us to uphold the rule of law and uphold uh democracy uh which we all um hold dear to well this has been a another great uh all-in politics uh podcast uh brother harrell once again thank you for uh for joining us and thank, thank you for you. our president and you're always you welcome inviting. to come on back yes and you're always welcome just like you know our big brother uh malik anytime he said he wanted to come on he got the power hour uh, so we we will turn that over to you, and we'll, we'll make sure that uh, you know at any time you want to come on, or you have some information that you want to give out to the uh, general public, uh, we will uh, reserve that uh, as the power hour uh, for you as well, uh, brother Walt. Uh, yeah, right now I just want to leave uh, Mr. Harrell uh, with the floor so he can give any platforms they may be able to find him on, any type of uh, organization uh, things that may be going on, planning events. Um, contact information. Uh, I'll leave the floor to you. So, um, folks can uh, follow my commentary on Instagram, TCRC Philly, uh, on Facebook, Ross J. Jean Diharel. And here in Philadelphia, we do so much out of the Healing Center, which is at 3609 North Broad Street. Our telephone number is 267-324-5217. And we are a force in our community. Um, due to COVID-19 and food scarcity, we're also a food pantry. And we run the best food pantry in the city of Philadelphia every Friday from 9 to 2. You know, so we are a full-service organization dedicated to our community. Uh, seek us out, support our work. We are here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. Very much appreciated. So, with that being said, this has been another exciting episode of the Real to Real to Jump Off, the All In Politics platform on the All In Network. Please subscribe. And we'd love to hear from you. And as my co-host uh, Rob always say, we give the voice to the voiceless.
So with that being said, and much ado, we bid you guys peace, love, and prosperity in your travels. Stay safe. Peace. And, and thank you to our producer, Elijah Cooper. Peace.